Okay, everyone, chill. Uh, hello, and welcome back to the Hit or Miss the Big Screen podcast. Uh, it's been a bit hectic for us today. We've been doing a lot of recording, but don't worry, everybody's cooled down now. So oh, dear. we would like to welcome you to the podcast. We promise not to give you an icy reception. Uh, you're with uh, <sighs> you, you're... <laughs> I'm your host <laughs> for this particular episode, Mike. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Will. Hey guys, uh, I am not very looking forward to this, but um, contrary to what I said in the previous episode where I said I'm genuinely looking forward to watching the movie, I watched the movie and I thought, yes, this explains everyone's reaction when I told them I'm going to be reviewing Batman and Robin. All I got back was, good luck you, and I thought, oh, is it really that bad? And then I watched it and I thought, don't make me give you the cold shoulder. Because, you know, <laughs> but anyway, um, just just to give you the background of why this particular uh, episode is the way that it is, as Will said, and as the reason for my terrible ice puns, we are going to be reviewing the legendary or infamous 1997 movie Batman and Robin. Um, we didn't pick to do this, just to clarify for everyone. Um, it's not mm. like I randomly decided, like, do you know which film I'd love to show my friend? Batman <laughs> and Robin. Um, but as has been alluded to in previous podcasts, we picked a bunch of films, and uh, Will came up with the idea to pick some that are bad so that we don't just always pick, you know, our favorite films all the time and see what we randomly ended up with. Uh, and yeah. from my from my random choice of bad films, this was the one that came up, which I'm kind of glad in a way that it's bad, but at least... To my mind, it's not boring or sort of painful to well, okay, maybe it is a little painful to watch, but yeah. at least it's at least it's entertaining. And sadly, I've seen it way too many times uh, to count. I do have the Blu-ray, but I like to claim that's because I'm a completist and it came in the four-disc box set of the early Batman films. Mm. Um, but yeah, suffice to say, it's it's probably not the case. I just really like it. <laughs> suffice, ice, <laughs> nice, good job. Yeah, um, but this is the first time that you've seen it for the podcast. Is that correct? unfortunately yeah well actually <laughs> very happily yeah this is, is indeed my first time uh it is often regarded as one of the worst films of all time and we'll get into the reasoning perhaps as to why but don't worry this won't just be a savage sort of takedown because like i said there's things that make it fun perhaps but anyway um because you know you haven't seen it before i, I did want to go into a little bit of background of how mm. how and why the film got made perhaps in a in an effort to understand what happened because yeah, yeah, sometimes we just have to see <laughs> see what went wrong. Um, so I don't know if you're aware of this, but this is the fourth film in a franchise of linked Batman films, loosely linked, uh, that started with Tim Burton's 1989 Batman. Uh, mm. the, the reason for the tone and direction of this particular one, this is the second one directed by Joel Schumacher, uh, and they are a result of a backlash by Warner Brothers, or so, uh, the company that make the movies, because... Uh, I don't know if you've seen it, but Tim Burton's Batman Returns was a very dark gothic film. Uh, yeah. The enemies, the, the villains in that, particularly the Penguin, is basically just a, a grotesque monster man, essentially. Um, so yeah. uh, there was a huge backlash because they were trying to get toys into Burger King and stuff to tie in with the movie because, you know, superhero film and everything. And um, kids were being sold this kind of penguin toy with black ooze coming out of his mouth and stuff because that was part of the film and everyone was like, this this doesn't work. We can't market toys off a 15-rated film that's just extremely Tim Burton dark. So hence why yeah. when George Schumacher took over for Batman Forever, things became a bit lighter. Um, and because of kind of the, the command from above to make things more toyetic was the word, um, that's ultimately what resulted, I think, in this film. And you can completely see that. You can mm. see that throughout the movie that they're basically just uh, deciding what they can what, what they can invent that would make a good toy uh, to the point yeah. that there's, there's literally even a line in the film um, where Poison Ivy says she's a lover, not a fighter, which is why every Poison Ivy action figure comes complete with Bane, uh, which I was like, I'm not sure if that's just really terrible writing or incredibly self-aware because... <laughs> Every two minutes, it's like, you know, they have um, Batman with polar gear, Batman with ice skates, Batman's car that becomes an ice sled, Robin's bike, Robin, two costumes for everyone, and, you know, Mr. Freeze in two costumes, boys and Ivy. So, yeah, you can definitely see it's a, it's an effort to make, uh, to put toys on shelves, but arguably it's one that rather backfired. Um, 
as I say, Joel Schumacher's Batman films are not the most popular things in the world. Uh, I think there's a general softening of opinion around Batman Forever. Um, yeah. And I'm one of the people that would actually defend that film. I think it's, you can see where it's starting to go downhill, but it's still a good film. And I think it's more accessibly Batman than Tim Burton's Batman Returns, which barely features Batman and is basically the story of these outsider freaks that have ended up in Gotham. So, um, hmm. But one one good example that I did find that I've always been aware of uh, to show you the kind of public opinion of Joel Schumacher's films comes from Batman the Animated Series. Uh, there's an hmm. episode called Legends of the Dark Knight where basically... It's uh, three different kids telling stories of uh, what they believe Batman to be like from their point of view, and it's in the style of different writers. So I think there's a Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams type episode. There's a Frank Miller. Uh, well, not episode, but like within the episode. Um, and then randomly in the episode, they come across a man named Joel outside a shoemaker's who yes. says, and I quote, hey, who's talking about Batman? I love Batman. All those muscles, the tight rubber armor, and that flashy car that can drive up walls. To which they reply, yeah, sure, Joel. <laughs> so that gives you an idea of how uh, how respected Joel Schumacher's Batman films weren't, I think. Um, yeah. it, it did come as a bit of a surprise to the sort of higher-ups, though, because there was actually a sequel planned to this movie. Uh, which was to be called either Batman Triumphant or Batman Unchained. There's some debate over what it was going to be called. Um, the movie would have featured George Clooney as Batman, Alicia Silverstone as Batgirl, Chris O'Donnell as Robin, and it was rumoured to feature either Jeff Goldblum or Nicolas Cage as the Scarecrow and Madonna as Harley Quinn, <laughs> um, who in this version would have been a toy maker who would have been the Joker's daughter, and they were going to use the Scarecrow's fear toxin to bring back Jack Nicholson's Joker from the very first Batman film and tie everything together. Obviously, given the reception of Batman and Robin, it didn't happen. Though it is, yeah. um, if you ever want to look up kind of unmade films, uh, scripts and interesting ideas, it's quite fascinating because there are a couple of things that you can see blatantly ended up in Batman Begins, including the use of the Scarecrow as a villain, the kind of theme around fear and everything. And even the, there's an actual scene of Batman kind of standing up in a cave of bats, just uh, accepting them upon him as he deals with his fear that's in the actual script for that film. Um, mm. So yeah, suffice to say, this basically did kill off the franchise for eight years until... Batman Begins rebooted everything under Christopher Nolan. Um, oh, but yeah, so again, often regarded as one of the worst films ever made, completely tonally a little bit all over the place. But um, that's enough of the background. I wanted to get a little bit into the plot <laughs> and the writing, the plot in so much as there is one, and see, uh, I'll just throw it over to you and say, Will, what did you think of the general plot and writing of this movie? I mean, you can tell you've done your homework, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I know a lot about these things. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I'm not surprised. Um, but yeah, all I'm going to say is this is an interesting movie. Uh, the writing, the writing, the writing. Unlike you, I did find myself trailing off towards the end. I was like, okay, this is a bit ridiculous for my, for, even for my liking. Like, I did. I kind of like the film, just like the charm of it. And I do think George Clooney, if I couldn't get into the performances, I do think George Clooney um, did make this watchable. Uh, for me, at least, I think he played I would, a good Batman. I would, I would wildly disagree. I think he was terrible. Really? Yeah. Um, okay. I'll get into but, it, I'm sure. Yeah. But yeah, in terms of, I think there's people in the film that work. There's two good actors. One, because they know what film they're in, and one that's actually a good actor. But I just think the perfect example for me of Clooney's lack Arnold. of lack of commitment to the film from George Clooney was at the very start when Freezer's in mid-crime, Batman drops down through the skylight and then George Clooney just deadpan with no trace of emotion just goes, hey, Freeze, I'm Batman. And I was like, well, start as you mean to go on, George. You know what I mean? He I just... mean, I don't know. That was how he was kind of character characterized in the Christopher Nolan trilogy. He, like, he wasn't flamboyant per se he was just he no, but he would be, and i would say that's the character he would be angry i mean if you compare that to kind of um, where are the drugs going swear to me batman as opposed to hey please yeah. it's me i'm batman <laughs> it's uh, uh, yeah i mean i definitely saw a bit too much of him because of all the direct the directional choices to have close of his ass and i was like why and then at the end, uh, when it was another character, I was like, okay, I can get behind this if you know who <laughs> I'm on about. But, but yeah, the direction uh, of those of the first few sequences, 
I I didn't like obviously, but the actual choreography when they're in the museum, and like the pot is flying up, and then the Batman catches it and he says, "You break, you buy." I love that line. So yeah, the, the, like the wow. first 10 minutes, I didn't actually think was that bad. Even yes, the special effects have not aged well. No. Yes, the story wasn't exactly there, but it was just it was just fun. And I think that's the word to explain it. The special effects in that scene had aged badly at the time. And I, I again, I think they're basically, yeah, you, you know what you're getting from the film from the start. Because like I said, within that sequence, you already get click your heels together and your boots suddenly become ice skates out of nowhere, which yeah. is just ridiculous. And then um, what I messaged you at the time as I was watching it, which is the escape in a rocket, which is just so conveniently <laughs> conveniently ice-themed, like, oh, you're going to go to the icy cold of space. And then just the idea that... Thirty thousand, your uh, your heart will freeze. And I just yeah. thought, that's a bit stupid. And then, like, they get to 30,000, he goes off with his parachute and then we stay about another 30 seconds in this rocket ship as it was increasing by about 10,000 in altitude every five seconds so i thought how is this guy not dead why is his There's... heart not freezing he must have been about 60,000 feet if we're not to, if we don't switch our brains off that's probably why he was at and i thought that's one of the it's so far-fetched that's one of the less ridiculous lapses in logic but yeah yeah as I, as I said to you at the time the fact that that scene ends with batman and robin saving themselves by ripping the doors off a rocket surfing on them without anything attaching them to them and i love how the dialogue, i love how the dialogue just imply that's every day for them like they just do that <laughs> naturally like it makes no effort to just explain science like there's a scene later where they're um batgirl and uh, robin are on this bridge and they're about a four and then all of a sudden and you think oh my god how are they going to get out of it and then in the very next scene they're out of it and there's no explanation and i think what happened did he pull himself up or something yeah. i was like if he did pull himself up how did he pull himself out and i thought it was it tried to be it cut corners and i don't think it worked in that scenario and i think it was just it's really stupid i yeah. imagine being a scientist and watching this movie you'd be offended oh it's ridiculous i mean there's no like i said it's stupid it's cartoony it's you know the very idea of mr freeze going around freezing everybody and then being like you have a few minutes to heat them up and they'll be fine it's, just, it's, yeah. it's ridiculous it's but surely like when you're in the scripting process surely you've got to think even at the time surely you gotta think this is out of our depth. This would just be stupid. And it's like, You'd was there not a script editor with this? Like, where, where's the script editor? That's where was the where, guy who just uh, stop, calm down? That's where it bugs me, because like I said, you, you can kind of, from a point of view of kind of a superhero and comic book fan, they don't give a crap about Batman comics, and they show that they don't know anything about them. And then, as you said, from a, just as a movie fan, as from a logic perspective, there's very much a sense of, how do they get out of this one? Nah, they just surf down on doors under the roof and they're fine. There's no logic to any of it. It's just like, quickly, we need to write an ending to this scene. That'll do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just make another quick ice pun and then that'll pass for a hmm. plot. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, as I was kind of getting into the, um, like I said, the, the inaccuracy of the Batman lore annoyed a lot of sort of hardcore fans, myself included, um, and that includes Batgirl, who for inexplicable story reasons is now apparently Batgirl's, uh, sorry, uh, Alfred's niece, which mm. does, doesn't make any sense since every other version of Batgirl is Barbara Gordon, Commissioner Gordon's daughter. So that was already yeah. a pretty bad start. Then um, what they did to Bane in this movie is absolutely unforgivable. This is Agreed. This I, is I was it, watching yeah. it and I thought, I've seen his characterization in the Christopher Nolan films. Mm. I thought, I, I think I, I was thinking, I think Michael was going to mention this about how <laughs> it's done his character dirty because I was watching it and I was offended. So, God knows what an uh, Batman fanatic like you would think. So, yeah, yeah. I, I absolutely agree. It's like a servant that has spells of being angry, like, oh, go break that down, break that down. And that's the extent of it. And I just think that's so stupid and unfair for the character. It is, especially when you realize that this, this film came out just after in the comics, Bane had been established as a really a deep character who's an actual threat to Batman and he'd recently in the comics just broken Batman's back and had Batman have to be replaced by a younger sort of guy for a while. Um, yeah. so in the comics he was a really cool threat with a great backstory and a history to him and then in this film it's just, you know, standard henchman who grunts a couple of times and repeats your words back at you. Um, yeah. But yeah, speaking of um, similar type things though, uh, I don't, you probably aren't aware of this, but one of the biggest disappointments for me coming into the film is the Mr. Free storyline because um, yeah. there's something there. 
there's an episode of Batman the Animated Series, again, not to keep going on, but it's a brilliant series, um, an episode called Heart of Ice, written by, I think, Paul Dini, which actually mm. won, an, uh, it won an Emmy Award because it was the first time that Mr. Freeze, who's kind of a ridiculous character, had been given, again, depth and pathos. And basically, it did revolve around the idea that he didn't want to be a criminal, but his his wife was dying and so was cryogenically frozen. And that's why he had this accident and everything he's doing, he's doing for his wife. And he's kind of a tragic figure. And the fact that a 22-minute cartoon could do that story really well and win an award for it. And then this two-hour movie completely just screws it up in every possible way. It's yeah. so disappointing because the plot's there for you as well. It's already done. And... There's hints where it almost lapses into it, where you're like, "There's something there if you could just just write better." <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, so, did uh, did you think the same about the sort of the Mister Freeze plot of it all? Or? Uh, not so much the plot, but I was just impressed with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, Arnie, he, yeah. yeah, Arnie. Like, I think the whole character of Mister Freeze didn't like grasp me, and I think that's just the messiness of the movie like all oh, these freeze jokes so how are you meant to take the freeze character seriously especially when he's got a laser that you know it yeah. looks prophetic like uh, for nowadays yeah. where he's just like you know the bit in the museum where he like freeze the or like unfreeze and broke down the dinosaur what killed the dinosaurs yeah the and, ice and, it, and the dinosaur was moving and i and oh it was actually breaking down and it was i, I thought it was moving and I thought, oh my god, is this movie actually going to bring uh, to life a CGI dinosaur? <laughs> and I thought, I wouldn't put it past with how ridiculous it is. But yeah, I didn't like Mr. Freeze, but I am impressed because I did read that he was paid $25 million mm. for this film. And the prosthetics took six hours to apply each day. And I thought, Jesus. Yeah, you can kind of see the makeup, I suppose. I, I grudgingly admit, I'm not a fan of Schwarzenegger's performance. I think it's ridiculous. I think yeah, he agreed. I think he thinks he's playing it straight as if he's in one of kind of like he gets away with it in action movies, um, particularly around the 90s, where he's kind of dispatching and killing bad guys and making a pun. And that became his thing. And the script and his performance just ratchets it up to like a million in this film. And yeah. I, don't, I don't think it works. And uh, yeah. again, the idea of giving this kind of tragic lost love backstory with depth to Schwarzenegger is not a yeah. great actor's pick in my opinion. So again, even when you're supposed to feel a little bit for him and kind of, uh, you know, the tragedy of what's happened and he's lost I his wife. I don't know. I, I liked the stuff with his wife. Like it wasn't much, but at least they gave him something. If you know what I, I mean, like, it, it was yeah. decent. I like one scene, which is when he tries to cry after he thinks that she's dead and the tear just evaporates. And then it kind of sparkles away, yeah. Yeah, which is, that again, nice th there's touches of something in here where you're like, if you could just focus, you could make a decent film. But yeah, yeah. Um, just to, to carry on with the idea of like the lore and the writing, um, there's a character in the comics called Floronic Man um, who you may not even know is in this film because talking about characters being done dirty, he is the incredibly insane, terribly overacted man at the start of the film who is creating Bane and ultimately gets killed by Poison Ivy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, he's a character called Jason Woodrow who does exist in the comics as a supervillain, but again, here, he's just a throwaway. And uh, it's disappointing because that actor's actually really good. His name's John Glover. He played, mm. um, he played Lionel Luthor, Lex's dad in Smallville for seven or eight years and did an incredibly good job in that villain role. So yeah. I have to assume it's the direction's fault because, yeah, it's, he's not good in that opening scene. Um, no. But, yeah, so, that again, the idea that if you didn't know this movie was made in 1997, when you see Neon everywhere and Coolio makes a guest appearance and it's all extreme sports and bike jumps and stuff, it's pure 90s, really, isn't it? It's yeah. uh, it's terrible Hollywood scriptwriter's idea of what's down with the kids and uh, it's painful, really. Yeah. But uh, despite all of the awful jokes and things, what I will say, and it's lapsing a little bit into the acting here, um, as I said before, I do think there are two actors who are good. The first of which, because George Clooney, know... <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> the first actor, because they know what film they're in, and that's Uma Thurman, who I think has just established that she's in a ridiculous camp, um, you know, cheesy as heck cartoon, and she's just thought, you know what. I'm just going to play this as ridiculous as I possibly can because why not? This is my chance to go for it. And yeah, it, you know, other than yeah. the kind of, other than the very first scene where she's trying to be sort of nerdy Pamela, oh, I can't, I won't stand for this, which is pretty badly acted. I think at least when she's Poison Ivy, it seems a deliberate choice. Um, 
Contrary to you, I, I just can't see past the writing in terms of performances. Like, if the performance, if the story is crap, and uh, mm. to be fair to her, she was given absolute crap to work with. And I know yeah. that some of the jokes were funny and some of the dialogue is memorable. But if you actually boil down to it, what was she actually given? She was just given a lot of uh, lewd jokes. And then yeah. at the end, she gets to kick uh, Robin down the stairs. And that's all she's kind of given. Mm. And then I just think, yes, she might have been... Uh, ramped up because she just went for it but again she went with dreadful dialogue so i not dreadful dialogue but just a dreadful characterization so i can't say her performance was particularly good when she was given such dire and i think that goes with literally everyone i don't i didn't like um who was the actor who played robin it was um chris, chris o'donnell I was not a fan of him. He, no. All he was there for was to say, you don't trust me. And I was like, oh, no. It was such laboured, ridiculous, forced arguments as well. And it was just like, yeah. just shut up, you whiny brat. You've been taken yeah. in by this billionaire. You're living in his mansion rent-free. And you're like, no, it's not fair. Yeah. Shut up. Like, like towards the end, um, Batman says something like, uh, you have to trust me or will you trust me now? And I just thought... I was planning this conversation in my head about 20 minutes into the movie. Like the first time, uh, what do you call him? Uh, Robin mentions, oh, you don't trust me. We got to work as a team. I wish Batman just said, yeah, but you got to have to trust me to save you all these times. Like I'm yeah. doing my job. And I just think they were, they were waiting for a payoff, but I would have loved the payoff to be about 20 minutes um, into the film and actually build up to a more rewarding payoff or like character. They tried to character build. And I think it came far too late and not enough depth. The, like, the it was ridiculous. That, the thing that I think they're doing there, and that I think why it doesn't work, is that they're writing the character of Robin as if he's the character Nightwing, uh, who's the same character in the comics, but, like, he's mm -hmm. developed years down the line. Um, so this is only the second movie with Robin, but obviously in the comics, Dick Grayson spends years as Batman's sidekick Robin, and then as he gets older and comes more into his own, he takes on his own identity of Nightwing and moves to his own town and becomes his own hero. Um, but that's not like literally the, the second film he's in the second, you know, year or whatever of crime fighting. So it doesn't work because it comes from absolutely nowhere. And he's done yeah. nothing to establish himself as being on the same level as Batman. He just comes mm. across as a spoiled brat. So yeah. the whole thing falls apart. But on a related note to that, I do notice that the costume they gave Robin is the Nightwing costume as well. Um, which you probably realize because it's not the sort of Robin costume with the green and the tights and the R symbol on it. Um yeah. Usually that costume is blue as opposed to red, but it has been red in the past. But I thought it was weird that this movie uses the Nightwing costume and effectively his storyline, but still calls him Robin. Mm. The other actor who I think is really good is an actor who, and it's become a running theme, who you may recognize from classic Doctor Who. And that mm. is the actor Michael Goff, who plays Alfred throughout all four of the Batman, Tim Burton slash Joel Schumacher films. Yeah. He, he played the Celestial Toymaker for the first Ooh. Doctor. Um, back in oh, the sixties, okay. and yeah. he was also he was also married in real life to Annika Wills, who played Polly, uh, companion to the first and second Doctor. Um, you see, he was actually one of my praises. Like, uh, yeah. I don't think Michael, like Michael Caine. Well, first of all, I think the casting in the Christopher Nolan films definitely paid uh, notice to these films because the actors do look pretty similar. Like, he does mm. look, he does resemble Michael Caine, and I think both Michael Caine and this guy both put in really good performances even though he wasn't given much but i did like really like um towards the end where he was scaring ill just before he said like my only regret is not being out there with you like mm -hmm. i just thought that was such a beautiful line i actually yeah i made a note of that uh, just just to jump in and because uh, i may as well say my note is that where did, I made a note of, like, where did it come mm. from? There's a really great scene here of what could be a great movie because it's Alfred sort of, I just regret that I wasn't out there with you, and then Bruce saying not all heroes wear masks and thanking him yeah. for everything he has done, and I was like, there's your movie! Why have like, you not <laughs> there's some really nice stuff in here. Yeah, Like, in this film, it's not, com it's not dreadful. It's not, like, zero or 0 0.5 out of 10 just because the, there's the hallmarks of a really, really good film. It's just this date in nature and one-dimensional characters, and in your case, the acting as well. Yeah, and so and in cases, the plot. In a in a but way, though, just the, just just to ask you the question, though, does that not frustrate you more because you can kind of see that there's the nuggets of good ideas there, and they're doing nothing with them. They're just writing terribly around them. I mean, I disagree because the ideas they have with 
um alfred and batman are executed pretty well uh, it's just like every other scene around it like in a different sequence it's crap like yeah. let's not be around the bush but the point is i think out the interactions between alfred and batman they're not too few and far between because there are quite a few of them mm. i think they're great moments and then you get like um <laughs> you then go back to robin want to kiss the bloody ivy girl and i just think for god's sake man like yeah i like there was a point i think they were fighting and bane was there mm. and then um in between the all the choreography robin just goes to kiss her and i just think okay we've done this about 20 times now can we stop and get on with the film and get on with the choreography it's like bane there was one case where like bane uh, rushes through the door or like the wall just after um she tries to seduce robin once again and then i think okay that was perfectly timed he kind of bursts into ruin the the pace of the all oh, the love but then one time it just kept going on and on and on and for please get on with it but then after that luckily it was only done one more time before uh time after and that time after was where um it's like the rubber lips which i think was a very clever uh mm. move and i i did like that scene kind of spits of it yeah it's clever i don't think it's played fantastically well but you're right in the yeah. in the regards of like watching it for the first time as a viewer you're like oh crap how's he gonna you know what's happened and then ah that was quite clever as a double cross and yeah. it obviously means he did trust batman in terms of you know protect yourself wear a rubber lips but <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yeah <idea>. but um <laughs> the only other note i had about acting just before uh, i move us a little bit along is that um and i hate being this negative alicia silverstone She's not a good actress. She really isn't. Um, that's the okay. blonde girl who played Batgirl. Um, ah, I, I, I don't know. She's pretty hot, though. She's a good-looking woman, and she that's the thing. She was perfectly cast when she's in, like, Clueless, playing the kind of California Valley Girl-type character. That's yeah. fair enough, because it doesn't really require a whole lot of, like, no offense, but, like, acting dramatic chops. But yeah. the, the simple... I mean, the, the perfect, again, microcosm of, of her is... She's supposed to have come from England, where she's lived her entire life. And I just made the note, she's from England. Is there some England in Southern California I've never heard about? Because that <laughs> is not an English accent. <laughs> yeah, like, okay. Um, all my sexuality aside, uh, she was not a good actor. No. Uh, I, I think that might be a bit harsh. Like, she didn't offer a lot in this film. And I think... Um, yeah she kind of fit in like she was okay just because who was around her wasn't particularly great because she spent mu much of her time oh, I... around robin and i don't think again robin i don't think the actor was particularly good so she kind of complimented him at times and i just think that's why i think she was decent as opposed to being absolutely uh irredeemable as so you I, think i, I don't fully of. i don't fully agree with you but i would also say that even if that was the case every scene she's in with michael goff as alfred which is quite a few because she's related to him he's yeah. showing her up because he's such a good actor and she's yeah. so like go to bed uncle alfred ah. and it's just like what are you doing who cast you and why yeah. like when she was <laughs> when she was looking at the computer and she said oh family well i'm family and i just thought that whole sequence was really weird it was, she was meant to seem like menacing i suppose like deceptive and then it just didn't work i was like can you act like yeah yeah she, well, she was she was pretty poor in that scene even anyway. on a plotting level though that scene i hate because it's kind of like he's like don't do it don't open it it's to go to your uncle in india or whatever and then she opens it cracks his password and then he's like oh i knew you'd actually just open it here's your reward you're now a superhero i was like what what's the what was the point of any of that why didn't yeah. you just literally just give her the disc like especially <laughs> after the scene early on the film where she goes off racing on the motorcycle like she yeah. was deceptive then so it was just so obvious the twist like not even the twist it's just like of course she was gonna go and look at it that's the most like tr that's the most troopish thing i've ever seen like uh, mm. that was bound to happen yeah 
it just didn't make sense because like i said you had i don't understand the tension of the scene beforehand with like don't open it it's not for you and and then like i said the completely unforgivable thing is supposedly the fact that she was able to guess his password after about 30 times makes her a computer genius because at the end of the film she's like i'll reprogram this satellite i'm a computer genius i was like you couldn't even crack a password like, like especially when you think the the password is going to be something that's like Bruce or England, I just thought that was so stupid. She was putting in these really basic terms, and I thought you really think you're going to crack into some sophisticated secret family heirloom by putting in England? Like what the hell? And then it turns out to be Peg or something like that. And I think ah, oh, that's not obvious at all, is it? Yeah, with the photo that says "Love Peg" right next to the computer, yeah, <laughs> conveniently. Um, but yeah, move, moving us along a little bit, the direction and general sort of things in the movie. You picked up on it already, but yes, the the infamous shots that are well known by everybody of like the every little bit of the Batman armor coming on, including extreme close-ups of everyone's ass, yeah. <laughs> and and the now infamous bat nipples. Like, why do the costumes have nipples on them? It doesn't make sense. It's a yeah. Joel Schumacher thing. They don't need to be anatomically correct. We don't need that, but hey, what the I heck, did. I suppose. <laughs> uh, the film, in terms of kind of the background scenery and the um, and the things like that, I think at least looks flashy, which I guess is what they're going for. But even within that, the individual costumes and stuff, as I've kind of said, with the bat nipples and things, they don't work. And I absolutely hate the random replacement costumes they get at the end. Because there's mm. no explanation for where, where they come from or why. I was so confused as well. I was like, why why have you just changed outfits? What's this for? Yeah, and it's a reason. It makes them so generic because it changes all the individual symbols and kind of uniqueness into just blanket. Now everything's a silver symbol, which just yeah. doesn't work. It robs any kind of visual appeal. And again, whoever decided that, I don't understand the logic behind it. Um, on a similar note, I don't get why. Because, in my opinion, the Batgirl costume looks so much better with the bat cowl on, which is how the character looks in the comics and cartoons and stuff. And yeah. she's wearing the cowl on the motorbike scene as they're heading towards the observatory. They get there, and she just takes the cowl off and throws it away. And I'm like, mm. what was that about? Why did you bother wearing it then? Like, pick up a, a cowl or a mask, but don't wear both and then just throw one away, you know? On a, on a Batman fan note, though, I don't know if you noticed that um, there are some nice little Easter eggs in the Arkham Asylum scenes. Uh, slightly more pleasant note. So, uh, as you go through and Mr. Freeze, or Bane is trying to get Mr. Freeze's costume, you do see Two Faces Diamonds. coat, oh. um, Two Faces coat with the kind of half black and half kind of red, almost leopard print. And you definitely see the Riddler's costume with the green and the question marks all over it. Um, there's probably mm. more, but I couldn't quite spot. I think there might be a penguin umbrella or something in there, but I thought that was kind of a nice touch to link this world together. And one scene I did want to bring your attention to, to say that I'm not sure how you took this, but at the start when they're all getting in their individual vehicles and blasting off, then Batman puts on the video screen and Commissioner Gordon's there and it is just the most laboured kind of, there's a new villain in town. He calls himself Mr. Freeze. He's robbing the Arkham yeah. Museum. And I was like, Oh, but um, one funny thing I did want to mention while we're on the subject of the opening scenes is <laughs> um, you get these scenes where it's they're, they're, it's so jokey and weird. And again, it gives you the tone of this film for better or probably worse. But where it's <laughs> like, um, hey, I want a car. Chicks dig the car. Uh, this is why Superman works alone. And uh, don't wait up. Alfred. I love that line. I love <laughs> you know, that line. What about Superman? Uh, chicks dig the car. Chicks dig the car. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then as I say, I'm like, hey, don't wait up, Alfred. I'll cancel the pizzas. And then as they head out after that incredibly painful bit of cheesy dialogue, um, <laughs> the next thing you see is Alfred kind of wincing in pain because of the plotline of him having the McGregor syndrome. But I was like, yeah. this could easily have just been that they'd kept filming and it was Michael Goff realizing the film he was in because he'd had to <laughs> watch this dialogue and then he's like, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I have to deliver those lines. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but um, I will. I will move us on to a section that I'm going to call puns, jokes, and ridiculousness. Um, in case there was any doubt about just how cheesy and stupid. And again, it's it's my bugbear with this film is that make one or two jokes by all means, but don't make every second line a terrible pun. Um, and after a while, I started making note of them because they're either. Um, poison Ivy is horny jokes, terrible ice puns, and then everybody gets in on it. So yeah. the the first one I noticed, which made me laugh, was Poison Ivy's "Come along, boys, my garden needs tending," which uh, 
Honey it's... Pot was my favorite one. I'm not sure of the exact <laughs> quote, but I just remembered Honey Pot for the next hour and a half of the film. Uh, there's also, um, I'll bring you everything you see here plus everything you don't, which is ridiculous. Um, she... Are you all green? I, oh, I guess you're going yes. to have to find out. <laughs> it's your thumb, the only part of you that's green. We'll have to find out. Um, you have to give me some kind of a sign. How about slippery when wet? It's like, that entire exchange is porn dialogue. Yeah. It's ridiculous. And, and that's the annoying thing. Like, yes, these are incredible quotes. Yeah. But that's all she has as a character. Which that's is not good dialogue. I think she's a bit right. of a waste. It's not good dialogue. It's just memorable, I guess. It's memorable and it's funny, but that doesn't make a, you know, realistic dialogue or good filmmaking. Yeah. Um, oh, there's no, more. No. There's more as well. Her telling um, Mr. Freeze when he says he needs diamonds for his suit, she responds, I'll help you grab your rocks. <laughs> and then the worst yeah. offender of all is Batman and Robin when they're talking about like, oh, Ivy was evil. Great stems, though. Yeah, buds, too. Like, this isn't even <laughs> funny. This is just ridiculous. <laughs> Um, yeah. Again, at the end, after Mr. Freeze has been making ice puns every second word virtually, the end of the movie has him trying to fire that big laser and he gives the, he gives the line, don't listen to what anyone tells you, boys. It is the size of your gun that counts. Yeah. <laughs> like, you've switched to double entendres yourself. And then again, yeah. uh, just Ivy giving it, my vines have a crush on you. So bad. So bad. And uh, Oh, yeah. Like at that point, I was just like, Okay, once again, you've done all this and like it's enough. Yeah. Like if you stopped about 20 minutes ago, fine. But then it's just this was like the 30th pun, and I just thought, yeah, even I not I don't laugh at this. Like and I would yeah. laugh, I would eat this up for days, but then it just got too much, and I just thought, like, are you even trying with your jokes anymore? Like it's not even funny. Like yeah, even if this was um... the only joke in your film, I would not laugh. The fact that Poison Ivy says that, and then they even have Batgirl the hero responding with, you're about to be compost. I was like, is that supposed to be funny? At this point, you're yeah. barely trying. Come on. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So that was as much as I did for that. I didn't list all the ice puns because we would have been here all day. Literally, you know? yeah. <laughs> you're not sending me to the cooler. I, I need the ice referring to diamonds, uh, dinosaurs, ice age. I, uh, there's a million of them, but yeah. Um, yeah. So moving through to the, the very end of the film, the third act, <laughs> talking about mm. lapses in logic, um, maybe you can answer this for me because I've never oh, figured dear. it out. Throughout the film, Mr. Freeze freezes people with his gun, including Robin, and they say you've got 11 minutes to thaw them out, otherwise they're just gone, they're dead. Um, so he mm. freezes the two scientists at the observatory, and then when Batman, Robin, and Batgirl get there, at what must be hours later, they just unthaw them like there's no problem? They've been frozen way longer than 11 minutes, surely. It is so stupid. Like, there is no, you don't have an explanation because there is none. It's just, it's just crap. Yeah. The resolution is crap to this film. Like, of course, there's the character beats towards the end of like him making an act to save Alfred. And I guess that's meant to be a nice redeeming moment for this character. But I just think the whole plot around him makes no sense and yes it was a nice moment for him to actually give him the cure even if it was a bit quick and niche and he just but, happens to have it in his costume just <laughs> exactly and he, he's just so willing to give it over like like would you be that willing if you're some evil guy but yeah it was a it was a resolution that was nice for the sake of having to film uh having to end the film on a nice note even though everything that preceded it is truly crap and i can't believe you made me watch it <laughs> I, I i was made a similar note which was just about that the, exactly the same thing which is um it's awfully convenient on a script writing perspective that freeze has managed to cure the stages of his wife's illness that alfred currently has it's just too convenient and again at the very end his change of heart is just far too fast like it makes sense if you'd if you'd been watching like the animated episode that I'd referenced, or if there was a better actor to give it that kind of, you've saved my wife, so this is why I, I, I owe you kind of something now. Um, but having Schwarzenegger deliver, again, a terrible pun in what should be the key emotional beat of the film with the whole, um, take two of these and call me in the morning. I was like, oh, just no, just go away, movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, and on, a, on an apropos of nothing, but I did notice that when they do go to cure Alfred as well, for the first time, I've, uh, having watched this multiple times, I noticed that um, Robin's actually in the wrong costume when they cure Alfred. He's back oh, in the wow. old, 
he's back in the old costume without the silver. So they'd obviously yeah. filmed that on a different day. And I was like, whoops, mm. continuity error. <laughs> yeah, and about production, like um, I learned this a few weeks ago, well, actually a few months now during college. It's like uh, they do the audio really rough during the actual filming. So like the, the focus on the filming is it's literally the shooting of the actors not so much the audio, even if they do have one of those boom mics, like because what they do is they go to a studio after the film is complete and then they redo the lines yeah. for the editor to chuck on. Yeah, and yeah. then ever since I learned that, I've just been looking at the lips and I just think, oh my God, yes, it doesn't match up. My whole film experience is ruined because they never seem to get it dead on in sync. Mm. And then like, I've, I saw it often, like the... um. The lines of speech were actually ending just before the actors were saying it so like the, it didn't sync up and i just thought lousy editing and i did i noticed that like i picked that up in this film just because it was actually really clear as day like you'll see the actors like are still mouthing the words after they said it and then i just looked at the lips after i noticed it and i was like almost every line is like that so like yes i know that's what all movies do, but this movie does a really shoddy job at it. Yeah, I, I, I would say that's probably... I didn't notice, but I fully believe you, because like I say, I think it's... Th there's a sense of a sloppy, almost rush job, I think, in most mm. of the film, which isn't the entire thing. I mean, as you said, the makeup for Mr. Freeze and even the costume is... It's impressive if it was given something to do, you know, but visually yeah. it looks great. And the Poison Ivy kind of costume and performance, it's become kind of a, a camp classic, I guess. So... I know a lot of people who um, cosplay as this version of Poison Ivy. Um, I'd be I'll, interested in that. Yeah, but yeah. Um, so <laughs> it, it's it's not like nothing in this film is is regarded well. And I do have one female friend who absolutely adores this movie. Um, I don't know why, For but she, she, uh, yeah, she she watches it all the time <laughs> because she has a young uh, a young kid. So she sits her kind of one year old boy in front of it, and they love it, which. Oh, to be sorry. fair, it's probably the target audience. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> oh, wow. but yeah, uh, why she loves it, I don't quite understand. But if you're going to show a one-year-old the Batman film, this is the one. And, like, um, I I can see why because it is a bit of fun. At the end of the day, uh, it yeah. is fun, and like I did trail off towards the end. Like I couldn't care less about the resolution when it just <laughs> actually come around because I I was so interested disinterested in it. But everything in the film. It's a load of fun, even if it is really bad. If that mm. if that makes any sense, no, like, it's, uh, it's it's bad, but I can see where some people would get fun out of it, and yeah, it's comfort and viewing. It's one of those bad films, and that, that almost becomes legendary because of its campy badness. So the only other example off the top of my head is the film Showgirls, which is a terrible movie, but it's become because you can laugh at it and know how ridiculous and stupid it is. It's become mm. a cult classic, and people watch it at midnight screenings and. Uh, you know, people, nobody's pretending it's good, but it has a different kind of reputation. Or even um, the movie The Room, the Tommy Wiseau film, which is regarded as terrible, but people watch it to almost laugh at it, I guess, without wanting to sound super mean. So I think there's a degree <laughs> of that, uh, a degree of that to this movie. And again, I've watched it a lot of times. It's not like, oh, I never want to watch it. It's boring. It's going to be a long, it's never a long, laborious two hours. It's always kind of fun because I don't watch it like, I, there's always like a year or two between watches and then when I come back to it, I'm like, I'd forgotten some of these ridiculous jokes. One thing I do have to mention because it's mm. so infamous and I hate it and I haven't mentioned it yet is the freaking bat credit card. <laughs> you didn't like that. I just thought it was ridiculous and I went, went with I it. it. If they were deliberately trying to make it a parody, almost fair enough, but it's yeah. so stupid. It is yeah, stupid. It's so ridiculous. Um, and again, that's the film in a nutshell, isn't it really? But anyway, yeah. I had to mention that because uh, I know that that's a lot of uh, people, that's their big takeaway from the movie. But uh, yeah. <laughs> so the only thing I really have left now is just my kind of conclusion and score. But yeah. I've been talking a lot and you haven't. So um, did you have any last things you wanted to go over, last notes or uh, kind of last... Um, explanations of how you felt or things that you wanted to pick up on uh so i wasn't a fan of the special effects obviously like you i think you mentioned it earlier i actually made the same note it's very neony yeah did i mention that or did you mention that no it was me because i said if you didn't know this movie was in the 90s it is yeah everything's oh, yeah. neon and but it's trying to be in tim burton's kind of version of gotham city where it's all 
it's very like noticeable. Statues and darkness, and then out of nowhere, it's suddenly like ne there's neon everywhere and uh, face painted gangs and stuff. Yeah, but yeah, it very neony. I didn't like the sets uh, so much. I did like how they incorporated so many Batman elements. So I like how they did actually show the light with the Batman symbol on it. Even though I would have loved to see a shot of the sky um, mm. with the bat in the sky, I think that could have been great. But they didn't do that. You do see think, the um, the Robin signal in the sky after she's altered it, but that's yeah. all you get. Yeah, uh, one-dimensional character writing. Yep. Uh, if that actually makes sense, just one-dimensional no, just... characters in general. Yep. Um, really bad acting. I did like Batgirl. Um, <laughs> yes, looks-wise, I'm sure, but you can't claim she did a great performance. <laughs> no, 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 she didn't. Um, I also did like George Clooney. I know you Fair may enough. have some because uh, I did I do recall you saying that you did prefer the ones that came before so I think maybe you didn't give him a fair chance when he did come out but I did I did really like George what was your problem with him what why, I just why found didn't him, he strike you I just found him flat um, and I know it's probably again it may well I'm not it probably is the direction or a kind of decision that he made because I know he's a great actor and a great director and I've seen him with a million times more charm and pizzazz in other films, but everything he was doing was kind of emotionless. And he may well have been told, well, that's Batman, you know, he's he's lost his parents and so he never feels anything. But to me, it just came off as dull and lifeless and he never seemed bothered about anything. And uh, the only hint of emotion you get is at the very end. It almost comes out when he's like, Robin, I need you to trust me, friend, partner, brother. Um, you know, there's the hint of family there. But even then... Yeah, the I, I, arguably that's his worst moment, in my opinion. Maybe <laughs> we just connected to different bits. Maybe, but yeah, just I found the whole thing just really flat and lifeless from him. Uh, is about the only way I can describe it. It didn't seem like the lines were being invested with any, uh, any real life, I guess. Yeah. Um, but again, you you know yourself the way they make movies. There's probably like ten different cuts of every scene, and it could be that when they've yeah. edited it together, they've just picked the worst line reading because yeah. that's their version of batman they want to go with and i can't blame george clooney for that um mm. but yeah i will say as well though that if this if you've never seen a batman film before or you're not familiar with the character do not start with this <laughs> please god do not start with this because all i'm gonna say is christine bell was definitely better than george clooney in the role yeah i'm not even talking about just batman i'm talking like the, the general lore and the setting and everything this uh, is okay. not this is not Batman as a genre at its best. This is definitely Batman as a genre at its absolute worst. Yeah. Um, so don't don't start with this because if, if you watch this and then think I'm yeah. not interested in these characters, I will not blame you. But <laughs> believe me, there's so much there, more. There is some nice character moments though, for mm. the amount of grief I do give the one-dimensional characters. There is some nice character moments with Alfred, even though I do think the whole brother plot was a bit short-lived and a bit redundant in the end. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there were some nice moments of, uh, I think, the chemistry between um, Clooney and the guy who did play, what was his name, who played Alfred? Michael Goff. Michael Goff and um, George Clooney. They had some really nice moments, especially where he said, like, I love you, I love you too, and they mm. exchanged that and i think that was a really uh subdued moment and it yeah, was very, it was plotted really well um but yeah i'd struggle to give this film anything above the score i did and do you want me to tell my score now uh, go for it and then i'll give my conclusion and score <laughs> my score is a 1.5 out of five wow One and um, okay so my conclusion leading into my score five um, stars from michael no 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 believe me <laughs> um I, I again just as as i was saying on the positive side, it does kind of suck you into the world and it's kind of, as escapism, it's fine and it doesn't feel the length of kind of the two hours. Um, and again, I've praised the, you know, one good actor, one actor who knows what they're in. Michael Goff is definitely the best thing in this movie without a shadow of a doubt. Um, but it is nice mm -hmm. after four films that his Alfred finally gets something to do other than hand soup to Michael Keaton. Um, so, you know, there is that. And the film is fun. It's amusing. It's entertaining, it's cheesy camp, it's a live-action Looney Tune, but it's not by any stretch a good or well-made film. And so I can't, in good conscience, give it any higher than, and I swear I already wrote this, 1.5 stars. Yes! <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and I said the extra 0.5 is just for Michael Goff, and maybe a little bit for Uma Thurman. Wig. 
<laughs> so, uh, so it's easy enough to work out the average of that then since we both give it the same score so yeah, uh, yeah. suffice to say batman and robin comes to 1.5 stars out of five is the Fair podcast enough. consensus which uh probably is going to be the lowest thing we rate certainly for a while <laughs> but, yeah uh, yeah mm. um i do wonder how we're gonna rate next week's movie Yes, well, I've never seen or even heard anything about it, and I'm deliberately not spoiling myself with finding out anything about the plot or watching trailers. I'm going to go into it entirely fresh and then cool. judge it as fairly as possible. Off of and I'm not of even going to say it's bad because I don't want you to go into the film just thinking no. it's bad, so you're going to think it's bad because I don't particularly think it's, you know, no, I don't think enough, it deserves the reputation it gets. So I'd be really interested to see your take on the films to see what you think maybe you really like it because yeah. i i i find this really uh, nice moment in it and i think yes my smith bias may be shown here but i think there's some really good acting in it so yeah i'd be really interested to uh hear what you have to say about it and maybe my thoughts have evolved yeah. so that's fair enough and i, I wouldn't we'll see i also wouldn't judge anybody who likes this film because like i say i can kind of see why there are things that people gravitate towards that are fun um, but again, mm. from a filmmaking point of view, and very definitely from a Batman fan point of view, it's garbage. <laughs> unfortunately, yeah. um, not to get all American, but yeah, not not. I wouldn't even say I'm not a fan. It's just not very good. But you know, I own it on Blu-ray, and I don't. I'm not regretful of that fact because, like I said, mm. every every now and then, if I'm depressed and I just want to see. Perhaps if I want to see something to cheer me up, or if I want to see that things could be so much worse, <laughs> I'll stick this film on. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, that'll that'll probably wrap it up for this episode, which is, seems like it's been incredibly well timed uh, as yeah. we come to about an hour of recording, and uh, not a lot to say about this film. But um, again, except for it was crap. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I tried to get into a bit of a deep dive about like how it was made and why, and yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, the logic around it. But um, apologies if you're sick it of the sound of my voice. It wasn't completely irredeemable. I guess no. we can say that it's not truly dreadful. No, it's just bad. No, and I've seen worse films. Like I said, the idea of a, a terrible film for me would be one where I had to sit and drag through the two hours, and the whole thing was terrible. Or yeah, join us again next week when I won't be hosting again. In case you're sick of the sound of my voice, uh, and Will may have more to say since it was his choice of film to get me to watch mm. for the first time, uh, and that is the film Patient Zero uh, with Will's favorite actor Matt Smith continuing our inadvertent. Not my favorite <laughs> actor. My favorite doctor. <laughs> Of course, of course. But yeah, continuing our kind of Doctor Who theme that we seem to have running here. Um, yeah. But yeah, so otherwise, yeah, uh, everybody have a great rest of your week. We've got some busy recording and stuff to do, but... Uh, Especially yeah. you on this Friday. Uh, Saturday, we've moved it, but yeah. <laughs> oh, have you? Okay. Yeah, Phil's not able to make Friday, but we're doing Saturday. Um, nice. Yeah. So go over to Spin the Wheel Doctor Who podcast if you want to hear what we're talking about with that. And uh, in the meantime, everybody stay cool. <laughs> I've had enough. I'm leaving this cool now. Bye. Have a good night, mate.